The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning, and this morning will be the last of the five-part series on the faculty of mindfulness, and over these weeks I'm going through one week each on the five faculties, and um, so I've done three now, faith and effort and mindfulness. And those of you who've been following along might have picked up that these five talks each week are progressive. That uh, they are talking about these faculties from the perspective of different points of the path of practice or as the practice deepens or strengthens as it goes along here. And and that uh, for this uh, mindfulness, uh, the Monday, the first day was... uh, what I call the initiating mindfulness, the practice of just coming back, waking up, reconnecting to what's here. And uh, that takes certain kind of effort, certain kind of engagement, commitment to keep coming back and keep waking up or keep recognizing that we're here. Then as the practice, as we begin more uh, in the flow of the present moment, come back more often and hear more often, then uh, that recognition factor can become stronger. And a very important part of mindfulness practice is to recognize clearly, oh, this is what's happening. To recognize a sound, a sensation, a thought for what it is. And part of the art is to learn to do that recognition um, without uh, coming, bringing along with it uh, our preferences, our desires, our aversions, our, com- compl- uh, our c- complex associations and thoughts and interpretations of it, but just let the, um, the recognition be very plain and simple, very clear, a clear acknowledgement of what's happening. As we learn to do this and as they get stronger, then it's possible to have more continuity with uh, mindfulness, with awareness in the present moment, and then it's possible to observe, to kind of settle back and just uh, observe over time how things are going and to observe the breathing, to observe the sounds that come by, to observe uh, the thinking as it passes by, like like train cars going down the track that you watch, or boats going down the river you sit and watch. And you don't get on the boats, don't get on the train track, train cars, but you just kind of watch it go by. So this kind of observing. Uh, as the observing gets stronger, observing is something that has more continu- continuity then it's possible to see how things exist in the course of time, uh, brief moments of time. And in particular, what I mean is to see how things are in constant, the flow of life, the flow of change, the constant coming and going, arising and passing. That somewhere or other, that uh, mindfulness leads us to seeing uh, change and and inconstancy and and permanence. One of the uh, functions of that is... uh, of, inc- of this uh, abiding in, uh, the language is abiding in observation. 
And as the practice uh, uh, develops and we see the impermanence of things, and that helps to loosen the grip of our attachments, preoccupations, resistance to things, then that quality of abiding becomes stronger. And perhaps even the sense of observation falls away. And there's just sense of awareness. awareness. Some people describe it as awareness as a field. And things just exist within the field. Things arise and pass. But there's a clear sense, a strong sense, that there's this, this uh, quality of awareness or clarity or space or beingness or a strong sense of restful presence that, um, that is here and that things happen but that sense of uh, uh, awareness doesn't change. In the te- Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, uh, he calls this um, patisati, which uh, is a very rare word in the suttas and his teachings. But um, I think of it as uh, lucid awareness. And that's how the, the renowned translator Bhikkhubodhi sometimes now translates uh, sati itself as lucid awareness. But I think this lucid awareness, this very clear awareness that we really know we're aware. There's a kind of a, a, a reflexive quality of, yes, either I'm resting, I'm here, there's awareness. There's clarity. Where the clarity, the sense of awareness, the sense of knowing is so clear and so peaceful or so spacious that it is almost like its own thing, independent of what is known. And this idea of, of knowing that certainly knows something, but is independent of what is known, is getting close to the idea of how mindfulness brings freedom. And the Buddha, in talking about this patisati, this lucid awareness that's possible to abide in, uh, he talked about that as synonymous with not being dependent on anything in the world and not clinging uh, or grasping to anything in the world. And uh, so regardless of how we understand this this uh, abiding in awareness, lucid awareness, um, abiding in presence and beingness, whatever we want to co- uh, we associate with that, um, we know we're in its territory when we can feel that whatever arises in the moment, whatever we're aware of, uh, the mind, consciousness, is in no way dependent on it or influenced by it or caught in it. Um, it doesn't rest on it. It rests in awareness. It abides in awareness. And also there's no grasping to anything. And, um, and this, the awareness that's here, when there's no grasping, not being dependent on anything, not being influenced by anything, just here is a profound state of peace. It's a wonderful, peaceful state. So in this way, I've talked about this, you know, as mindfulness is a progression. And so there's mindfulness of, uh, you know, for beginning and intermediate and more developed mindfulness. And, um, and so it's easy to assume that there are those people who are just beginners and they are at the beginning stage. Those people who have been practicing for some time and they're more intermediate stage. And there's the people who practice a long time perhaps and they're at the kind of more advanced stages. I think it's, uh, even for people who practice for a long time and are fairly mature in practice, I think that, uh, you know, it's 
probably a majority of the time, they're beginners. Probably, I don't know, you know depends, you know, there's no fixed number here, but just for the sake of the discussion, 60, for someone who's a, you know, mature practitioner, probably 60% of the time, they're just being a beginner. They're doing initiating mindfulness, coming back and waking up. Um, and then, you know, if, and then perhaps um, uh, 30% of the time or 35% of the time, they might be an intermediate practitioner. And uh, maybe they're in that, uh, the Wednesday stage of just a, kind of being able to um, observe in some clear way and not be, interfere with things too much. And uh, maybe, so that maybe that's only 5% of their time left. And maybe 4% of that time, there may be in some uh, really higher quality sense of abiding in awareness without much clinging or attachment. And 1% of the time, they have some really, really high quality feeling of peace and, and uh, expansionness. And, and, um, and whether these numbers are accurate or not is not the point. The point being that... Um, uh, uh, we're all beginners at times and we're all, you know, and we all start where we're, and the, the important point I'm trying to say is that the essence of practice is to be at the stage that you're at, to practice with how you are. Uh, the, um, and what I've seen in people who've, you know, fairly mature practitioners is a sense of ease and willingness and acceptance to practice where they're at. And so if we're practicing as a beginner, uh, that's fine. That's, that's the practice of that moment. And in that regard, um, there's a wonderful saying uh, for the purposes of uh, mindfulness meditation. The fastest way to go from A to point B is to fully be at A. So wherever you're at, whatever your situation is, whatever the circumstance are, mindfulness is to be with that, practice with what you have, really do that. And if you find yourself over and over again as a beginner, that's your spot to practice. That's, that's, what's, uh, that's, that's the place to find your ease and keep showing up, keep waking up. If you're able to really start recognizing and find some freedom in the recognition, that's your place. If you're able to rest back and observe, that's your place. If you're able to kind of see the inconstancy of phenomena, that's your place. And if you're able to tap into the mind's capacity to abide in awareness, to have a kind of lucid awareness where there's no or very little clinging or attachment or dependency on anything, that's your place. And wherever your place is, it's your place. And then I'll end with, um, I think, a, a lovely kind of, for me, inspiring story or analogy, metaphor the Buddha does, gives about mindfulness practice. Uh, it's, he talks about uh, monkeys in, uh, who seem to uh, live kind of in the forests, the jungles of northern India, somewhere in the interface between the foothills of the Himalayas and the plains of the Ganges. And, um, and uh, the Buddha said that if those monkeys go further up into the mountains where there's steep cliffs and crevasses, uh, it's dangerous from up there. They can fall and hurt themselves and stuff. 
And if they come out of the forest down into the plains where there's no trees, not a lot of trees or forests, um, then they're very susceptible to being caught by hunters. But if they stay in their home country, in their native land, in that uh, zone between the high mountains and the plains, in those jungles, I guess, um, then they're safe. So the same way, Buddha said, uh, he talked about mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness, as being a person's native home, their home country. So I think the, la- the, the, the original language is ancestral lands, lands of your ancestors. And, um, and if you stay there, then you're safe. So this idea that uh, this mindfulness faculty is your native land, is your birthplace, is the place where you most belong, your home, means it's a home you can bring with you anywhere you go. And if you stay close to it, there's safety there. If, uh, and if you don't stay in it, then there's dangers to encounter. So uh, I hope that, um, that um, that's nice for you. And um, so next week we'll do uh, this fourth faculty, which is concentration samadhi. And then the last one we'll do is wisdom. And, um, but since it's Friday, and as we did the last uh, two uh, Fridays, uh, I'll stay here for a little while. If those of you who would like to uh, ask a question, I, I'll try to ask a question for the next 10, 15 minutes or so and be a little bit more responsive. I certainly have valued this chance to have a connection through you through uh, the chat, and it's actually made it much more alive to sit here in an empty room and talking to a camera. I have a very vivid feeling of you, you all, or community out there, and and uh, and I think that's very much helped by the chat. So, if you want to ask questions, um, you're welcome to uh, to do so, and. Um, So, um, you know, I'm happy to get very happy. I'll try to go through them. Um, And if there's a lot coming at once, sometimes the questions go up and I can't necessarily go back and find them quickly. Uh, So here, um, how can you work on returning to but not grasping either the breath or the pleasant feelings of abiding? Oops. (laughs) Let's see. No, no. I don't know. Oh, here we go. Maybe I can. Um, does this abiding include the breath focus or can it release even that? Thank you. How can you work on returning to but not grasping either the breath or the pleasant feelings of abiding? So one of the, uh, uh, one of the very important principles in Buddhist practice is that the ideals that we present in Buddhism, so the ideal would be to um, not grasp at something, um, that uh, we don't focus so much on doing the ideal and trying to make ourselves fit into the ideal. It's a little bit dangerous to kind of try to live up to an ideal directly and kind of hold ourselves in that position. Uh, But in mindfulness practice, we we use the mindfulness practice to see what's actually going on. And if what's going on is we're grasping, then that becomes what we pay attention to. And, um, and so the way to come to non-grasping is to understand grasping well. 
And, um, and uh, so it might be grasping the breath or pleasant feelings or even the idea of abiding. And that's suffering. That's beginning to cause some contraction or tightness or stress. And so to... Um, uh, so that those are those are very important part of mindfulness. So the recognition factor we talked about on Tuesday, uh, to recognize what you know, we're recognizing what's happening, and we're recognizing the grasping, the clinging, the resistance, and we're not trying to be dismissive of that, and say, well, that shouldn't be there, um, but rather we turn towards it to recognize and see it clearly, and then we learn something about it. We learn the stress of it. We learn the discomfort of grasping. Uh, we become wise at what we're grasping to and the trickery of grasping. And then over time, because we've become wise, then we begin to grasp less. And then as we grasp less, then what emerges is an ability to abide in awareness more. So we're not f- forcing ourselves into abiding. We're patient and taking our time and kind of growing into it as we start seeing clearly what's going on and how we operate. So let's see what else we have here. Um, Can you say more about staying motivated through the beginning intermediate advanced status, especially in the beginning intermediate stages? Great question. Um, The... um, Yeah, so there's two sides of practice. Uh, there's the, like again, like the ideal. Uh, there is the path. There is, it's onward leading to take us someplace to f- freedom from suffering because we don't want to suffer. Buddhism has a lot to do with going from suffering to the absence of suffering. And uh, so there is a path and change. To say there's no path is, you know, is kind of discouraging perhaps. But um, at the same time, mindfulness, has, mindfulness can help us take us on that path. At the same time, there's something about mindfulness, the moment of recognition, the moment of being aware of something, that has inherent in it qualities of peace, qualities of freedom, qualities of non-reactivity. Uh, and, um, and I feel I would like people to first learn, uh, um, as a beginner, from the very beginning, if they can, to begin looking for, experimenting with, how is it that a moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom or is a moment of peace? It doesn't have to be dramatic, but uh, how is it uh, useful and valuable so that you will never regret having been mindful? If you're, if you're a beginner for your whole rest of your life, um, uh, you, you will say to yourself, that was a life well spent. All those moments that, uh, you know, that each moment of mindfulness is in a certain way complete in itself. And, uh, and that's the idea of, uh, you know, to go from A to B, be fully at A. So I have put a lot of value that for a beginner, for anyone, to really kind of begin to explore and develop and talk to friends and, and to, to really find for yourself, what does it take? What is, how is it that a moment of clear mindfulness is itself has something you'll never regret doing. It was valuable to really see and be present. Um, and, um, and so if you do that exercise, then uh, probably uh, you'll be much more at ease about where you are on any kind of stage model of practice. Aversion to aging, illness, and death, 
and judgments about things happening in the world right now make it difficult to find a place of calm abiding. How can you find this abiding out in the world? Um, that's a very good question. I think it's a question I think many people share with you right now. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, distress about what's happening in the world. And um, this is the time to practice more than any other time, I think. And uh, the... Um, and um, so to... Um, I think, as I said to the earlier question, you want to study, you want to, you want to bring a lot of compassion to studying our distress, studying our difficulties and our challenges we have with what's happening right now. And, um, and not see it, uh, and begin looking at how we're reacting to all this. What's going on? What are we doing? Um, and maybe first, it's important to allow yourself, in certain situations, to allow your heart to break. Uh, these are difficult times and there's a lot of pain and suffering and uh, people are dying, people are up against very dangerous situations, people working in the hospitals and elsewhere and uh, there's a lot of distress in families and uh, people, people are home. Sometimes home is not a safe place for people to be and they're cooped up with each other in ways that they don't usually have to be. Um, and... Um, so there's, a, there's some way, there's a, a way of sitting and practicing that we radically allow ourselves to be how we are. Let the heart break. Let us feel how difficult it is and the weight of all this. And then see if, and feel it in your body. Use all the skills of mindfulness you have. Do it in small dosages. Um, touch in. And I think sometimes I like to give the instructions that when things are really hard inside, a lot of difficult emotions, uh, imagine mindfulness is a soft cotton ball that you gently touch up against the wound or this challenge that you have, and then you pull back. Because just to use mindfulness to go right into the difficulties and stay there can be just too much. But to have that wisdom it's, that it's valuable to see and recognize, acknowledge what's there, make space for it, even if it's two moments, and then pull back. And then when you're ready again, touch it again. Because we're looking for how can we transform, learn, uh, allow this beautiful heart we have to find its way to resolve uh, what's going on for us. So it takes a lot of honesty. It takes a lot of discomfort sometimes. Mindfulness practice can be talked in wonderful ideal ways of peace and things. And I apologize if I give that impression too much. Uh, Sometimes what mindfulness is, and a really important part of mindfulness, is to learn how to be comfortable with discomfort. To learn about all our reactivity, our beliefs, our sense of self, all these things that come into play. And um, so I hope that uh, you realize, that uh, all of you, that that, uh, practicing mindfulness with discomfort is actually a really important part of mindfulness. It's not in the public advertisement, but uh, the um, don't go looking for discomfort, but uh, if discomfort visits you in your practice, uh, that's an important area of learning, to learn how to be more equanimous, non-reactive, 
to become wise about what goes on inside of us. Um, and it comes a day that you can learn to be a certain kind of way comfortable with discomfort. And the world is an uncomfortable place. The world is inherently in many ways an unsafe place. And what has uh, this current status of the coronavirus, um, it just uh, highlights what's always been true, that this world is a fragile place, that uh, dangers are here, ever-present, and some people have them visit sickness, old age, and death come sooner than others, for, for, than for others. But that, uh, that is always here. And so what's happening now is just highlighting in a way that's distressing and difficult. But now is a time to practice. And if that begins with just caring for yourself, compassion for yourself, getting exercise, getting food, talking with friends, doing whatever is needed, to come into some kind of balance. And once there's some balance, then maybe the practice can take you deeper into it. <clears throat> so, yeah, so I apologize that the way that this works, it's, I find it a little hard to go through them chronologically the way they've come. Why does mindfulness seem to wax and wane over the days or to be stronger after retreat than fade or easy, fade away or be easier during peaceful times and harder during stress? <clears throat> I suspect it has a lot to do with uh, our preoccupations. We get involved and active and thinking about things and, and uh, you know, we have all these kinds of concerns that come along. And the more we're concerned about things, the more active we are, the more preoccupied, the more we... Uh, the emotions come along with that, <clears throat> the, the, the more the groove of thinking is operating and we're getting caught in our thoughts, involved in our thoughts. Uh, there could be mood shifts that go on and emotions come and go and we can uh, have a good night's sleep and a not a good night's sleep. We could, um, you know, have be physiologically something could be going on that makes life difficult for us or we're not quite our best self or something. There's so many variables that goes on in, in human life. And, um, and certainly, you know, with uh, uh, coming from retreat, on retreat there's, a, there's a, a calmness, a steadiness, a concentration factor that's gotten strong. We've really cleared the table to some degree of a lot of the preoccupation. And so all those things begin to wane. The preoccupations come back, the concentration wanes. And it's hard to keep the same level of concentration in daily life as we have on retreat. But again, this uh, really be at A. Don't be so concerned about the ideal. The idea is to learn how to practice with what is. And if what is is complicated, is preoccupied, is, you know, we're, we're agitated, there is this wonderful art of this discovery. I think it's a real treasure of mindfulness is to, in a certain kind of way, accept that, or maybe better say, don't be in conflict with any way that you are, but see if you can start discovering how there can be a moment of mindfulness, a moment of recognition, oh, this is how it is. And in that simpler, oh, this is how it is. It doesn't fix it, it doesn't make them go away, things are still uncomfortable. But there is a, gl- a gap, there is a little crack in our experience where there is some degree 
of peace, of freedom, of, of ease, of acceptance, of non-conflict, in which there's space maybe for more compassion, more wisdom to operate, and we can find our way. So I hope that that... Uh, uh, and then uh, the question here I see is how not to be afraid? To answer the question as short as it's been asked and to the point of what it's asked, um, how not to be afraid is don't cling to anything whatsoever. That fear is definitely a byproduct. Most fear definitely a byproduct that we're clinging to something, attached to something. So the question is short. My answer is short. I feel like it's doesn't really, it's not really, that short answer doesn't really respect the complexity of, of fear and what goes on and, and uh, the care that's needed to be with fear. Um, uh, one of the wonderful little instructions that I will give around fear is, um, is um, when you're afraid, help your fear feel safe. If you're distressed about your fear, your fear is not going to feel safe to be there. And it's going to be more afraid or you're going to get the whole system going to be more upset. If you feel like it's wrong to be afraid or you're afraid of fear, it all makes it more complicated. Your fear is a very important part of who you are. It's, in a sense, fear is trying to take care of ourselves. It's a movement of self-care of self-protection. Sometimes the fear is misplaced. Sometimes it involves um, acts of imagination, imagination that predictions and fears of the future that are not really realistic or even appropriate. But uh, regardless of that, fear is still a wonderful movement of self-care and self-protection. And to take that movement of self-care and self-protection and hold it with cupped hands of awareness and help it feel safe. It's okay. The great mantra for fear is, uh, it's okay. It's okay. And uh, to do that, especially in meditation, and then see what happens to the fear. Fear will begin to thaw. Fear will begin to relax if it starts feeling that you're a safe person for it. It's kind of like a small child, uh, maybe who's really afraid. And maybe that you, you're not going to psychoanalyze the child. The child will just get fr- get more f- afraid or turn off. Uh, you're not going to try to tell the child to be different. Uh, you maybe maybe bring the child over and put a hand on the shoulder and you say, it's okay, it's okay. And you help the child feel safe and, and maybe give the, ch- the child some treat or something to eat or drink. But uh, just, um, it's... Um, Help your fear feel safe. So thank you very much. I appreciate the questions and they're all very important and I wish I could have answered uh, even better or better and more respectful and really meet you. I, I would love to be able to meet and support each one of you as you are and offer the kind of care and acceptance of each of you that I think the mindfulness uh, can bring, you can bring to yourself through the mindfulness practice. So thank you so much and, um, and I hope to see you on Monday.